honest, but I do, I, I talk about it in this quantum field or this energetic realm. There's infinite possibility. It's a place that's beyond space and anything you can imagine exists there. So what I focus on with regard to the quantum field because it's the piece that's relevant to the work that I do, is that when your attention is on a possibility in this field of infinite possibility, that you make that outcome more likely. And this is important for healing, manifestation, change, transformation, because it becomes an exercise in training the mind Welcome to The Geode, your guide to modern wellness and woo. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. I'm a mom, a veteran, and a modern mystic, and I'm on a mission to create an inclusive wellness community. A few years ago, I found myself drawn to the world of spirituality, and I loved it, but I also felt really self-conscious about what I didn't know yet. I didn't feel comfortable asking questions or showing up to certain events, and I definitely never heard or saw anyone with a voice like mine, someone who's grounded, relatable, approachable, really funny and also really witchy and that's why I created this podcast on the podcast we're going to cover everything from astrology to crystal healing energy work human design and even tantric Ayurveda all from the perspective of relevant practitioners and thought leaders I wanted to create a safe place for you to learn more about these contemplative and mystical practices and offer a variety of information so you get to decide what resonates with you on your own terms I hope that you love it because I love you Welcome back to another episode. I'm really excited because today we have Dr. Erica Matlock, and she is trained as a naturopathic doctor, a nurse practitioner, a Reiki master, massage therapist, yoga instructor. She's the founder of Seven Senses, a holistic method that she created, and she's a soon-to-be mom, and I'm like a huge fangirl right now, so it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. There's a lot that I absolutely love about the work that you do, but something that really stuck out to me was that you got Reiki certified at 19 and did it to your classmates in college. And I thought that was like super baller because it's popular now, but it wasn't popular 10 years ago, 15 years ago. That's like baby entrepreneurship right into college. And so I thought that was interesting, but then I heard a little bit more about your story and it started even before then. I love your story. Do you mind beginning with how you got into this holistic medicine side? Absolutely. When I look back and it's always so interesting to reflect on the journey because in the early stages, I didn't really know where anything was going. But really what opened up the door for me was that I lost my mother when I was young to cancer. She went through conventional medical treatment. There was no sort of alternative medicine or anything like that involved. But a few years later, I fell in love with this boy, my first love in high school, and his father had been diagnosed with another kind of cancer. Knowing what I know now, it's like comparing apples and oranges, but his father ended up going down to this clinic in Mexico and doing macrobiotic diets and nutrient IV therapy. And he basically went into remission, even though his conventional oncologist told him that he had six months to live. So in high school, I had this aha about healing and about there are actually a lot of different ways to do this. And I'm curious to explore that. So I went off to school and I did the, the basic pre-med curriculum knowing that I was interested in something related to health and medicine, but I also knew that there was some alternative path for me and I didn't know what it was because I hadn't had that much exposure to different ways of healing or different practices and any sort of alternative medicine. I went to school in Oberlin, Ohio, where there wasn't really a huge community of alternative healers. So as soon as it clicked for me, that was something I was interested in. It was what's here. 
what else can I learn about that takes me out of this like very conventional track of college students going through the pre-med curriculum, getting groomed for a very predetermined carved out path. Around that time, I learned that there was someone in town who practiced Reiki, and I didn't know what it was, but I was drawn to it. So I reached out and I asked her to teach me, and I started training with her and found a bit of like a structure and a framework for something that I think I had always experienced. I felt like I always was was sensitive and empathic and could sense energy and that type of thing, but I didn't have the language for it or really even know it was something that you could actually work with. When I started working with this mentor, Reiki trainings are very straightforward and a lot of them happen in one or two days, but At that time, there wasn't a whole lot of structure around it. This was like 1999. I spent a lot of time with her, months. And in learning Reiki, I was working with pendulums and chakras and orosoma and all of these different things and really putting together an understanding of something that had always been there. I just didn't really know that it was something that you could have some control over and work with. So that's really where it all started. And at that time, I didn't even see myself practicing Reiki for money or teaching or anything like that. It was really just, for me, I was curious about how I could use it in my life. I ended up practicing on students because that was my community, but I didn't charge and it wasn't a job. And I certainly didn't think of myself as an entrepreneur at that time. From there, my path went in a lot of different directions. And I'd even say for a while, I deviated pretty far from my energetic roots and ended up working in conventional medicine for many years where there was always this piece of me that was picking things up intuitively and thinking about energy and feeling energy, but I couldn't really speak to it in the clinical environment. Eventually I came full circle back to where I started, but really it took me decades to synthesize all of these different things. As I went through the path, because I started with Reiki and then I ended up doing a massage therapy program and doing massage and Reiki for quite a while. And that took me all over the world, really, where I continued to learn from different types of practitioners and different modalities and different approaches to healing and philosophy. And then came back into a naturopathic medical program and a nurse practitioner program. Yoga had always been this parallel thread that I started in my teens. And I didn't see any of these things as connected for a very long time. I saw them as, oh, I can put on my Reiki hat and be over here. or I can put on my naturopathic doctor hat and be over here. But eventually, I started to see all these parallels and how the body and the self really were expressing the same things through different languages and different sort of forms of expression. And eventually it came together as something that felt like really true for me as a practitioner. What I think is interesting is the weaving between two worlds. Was it because when you were in the conventional medicine side, you were worried about bringing in the talk of the energy or you just had not thought about connecting the two? What was the reason that that you felt like initially there was a separation? I think it was more who I was responding to and who I was like working with. And when I worked in conventional medicine, which I absolutely loved, I really served as a bridge. And being a bridge is wonderful because you 
get this opportunity to introduce people to new things. And I worked with a lot of healthcare providers, conventional medical doctors, nurse practitioners, physicians assistants, and I was able to teach them a lot about how can we use diet or supplements or meditation or, or breathwork exercises to avoid pharmacologic interventions. And I felt really good about that because I felt like that was a great way to reach lots of people. But I also understood that if that's the role I was playing, there were limitations to how woo-woo I could get. So I could talk about herbal alternatives to an antimicrobial drug, but I couldn't necessarily talk about how astrology of the day is impacting the crown chakra. And I like to go those places. To me, the more the holistic nature of the self has no limit. And our environment, the universe, the celestial world, it all has an impact. And so I feel like when I worked in conventional medicine, the limit was guided by meeting people where they were and wanting to give them tools that didn't actually result in them not trusting me or thinking it was too out there, but that I could actually make an impact in a way that was safe and effective. When you decided to change course, was it just a moment or was it a buildup? I'd say it was more of a buildup. And I would say that like in, I started feeling somewhat constrained in conventional medicine, probably a few years before I actually left. Yet I continued to feel like I was learning and growing. And for me, that was always a litmus test. It was like, okay, I can't necessarily bring all of myself to this job, but is there enough here for me to continue staying? Am I still learning? Am I still growing? Is the vision still formulating? And that did feel like the case until I hit a point and a bunch of things in my life came together at once. There was this buildup toward making the shift in my career for a while, and it correlated with me coming to a point in my relationship with my partner. We were long distance and we wanted to be together. We had collaborated on our first retreat and he is an extremely talented sound practitioner and he introduced me to really a new expression of energy, which is vibration. And as we started to work together, I something opened. So that was my like aha moment, but it had been building for a while that it was time for me to go in a different direction. And then all at once, I up and moved my life and quit my job and started a business. <laughs> Obviously, that's how it goes. I want to talk about your work because it's this culmination of your experience and, and your education and your intuition. Can we talk about the four quadrants? Um, yeah, absolutely. Really yeah. So where my foundation comes from and I have conventional medicine to thank for this because one of the things I learned in conventional medicine was, and, and this isn't really a critique because there are really good reasons why in conventional medicine, we compartmentalize and we specialize, right? Because it takes a lot for a practitioner to know all the systems of the body and all the different levels of experience. We have this way in Western medicine of referring out a lot, whether it's to a specialist or to a different type of practitioner. And what I saw over the course of my decade working with people in a high volume practice was that the more sort of specialized and fragmented the care was, the more stuck the person was in their healing which is a little counterintuitive because in some ways healing takes a village and we really do need a lot of different experts and practitioners on board, but there's often not a lot of integration happening. 
So what I started to observe and then weave into my work was this idea that we really have these four different ways of experiencing the world and ourselves, the physical body, the mental experience, our emotions, and then the spiritual experience. As a provider in conventional medicine, a lot of the time people don't get into the spiritual quadrant of health. In my work, I tend to be the person that people come to when nothing else has worked. I'm working with people, whether it's chronic fatigue or Lyme, incurable chronic illnesses. By the time someone gets to my office, there's often a mental health component and a deep search for meaning because the life they came from before this chronic illness is no longer a possibility. To some degree, I was forced into this framework because there was no one else to do it. What I started to understand was that we experience ourselves and the world differently, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, if we understand the differences between these four and we can actually coordinate their efforts toward the same goal, we really can get some movement, like incredible breakthroughs and miraculous healing and all the things that we dream of when we're stuck in chronicity. A few observations that I made were that Mental and emotional health are two very different things. And in our conventional system, they're often lumped into one. The way I think about it is that our mental health is really our thoughts and beliefs. This is where the placebo effect comes in. And, and back to your earlier question, this is why it's important to me that someone I'm working with actually trusts me. They actually believe in the framework. And they believe in what I'm doing because if I throw something at someone that they think is quackery, we don't get the same outcomes. So mental health, I think about as your thoughts and beliefs about who you are and your healing process and really the world. Then emotional health, I think about as chemistry. As naturopathic doctors, we work a lot with hormones, whether we're talking about sex hormones, or adrenal hormones, or neurotransmitters in the brain. The emotional experience is transient. At the end of the day, a chemical messenger binding to a receptor and bringing about a state that we feel. And that's actually very different than your thoughts and beliefs. And when we send someone to a psychiatrist or a mental health provider, and those two aspects of their experience get lumped into the same, like the same category, I think we're doing them a big disservice because healing emotionally requires actually feeling things. That's the nature of emotion. And the healing yeah. mentally often requires restructuring thoughts and beliefs. You're saying that if your belief is that you can't be emotional, but your emotions are causing an issue, that you won't heal one aspect that needs addressing because your one quadrant is counterintuitive to what it needs. This is often what happens. Like the different quadrants are working in different directions. And so the first question I always have for anyone about healing is, is really what does healing look like? What is your intention? What is the destination? Because oftentimes what healing looks like for someone is different than what their doctor or their acupuncturist or their other practitioner thinks healing is. And if provider and patient or practitioner and client are not on the same page about that, then like we're not working in the same direction. And so the conversation for me always starts with where do you want to go? And then what my work becomes about is how do we get the physical efforts, mental efforts, emotional efforts, and spiritual efforts 
all pointed in that same direction. What I find is when we do, things change and things happen. And the other piece that I think we often get really stuck on in the Western system is that we really have lost the importance of balance. To me, there's this balance in the quadrants where our physical and emotional experiences are how we take in information about the world and we get feedback around how are we doing? Am I in the right job for myself? Am I eating the right food? Is this medication working? Whatever it may be. And then our mental and spiritual quadrants are really where we create from and where we project from our intention and our attention and our thoughts and our beliefs. The way that I see healing, there's this balance. We need the physical and the mental quadrants of ourselves to help us feel safe and grounded. There's some science to the whole thing, a predictability and a reliability. And if we don't have that, then we have the placebo effect working against us. This is where most of conventional medicine hangs out, focusing on physical and mental health and our science and our data support that. But then there's this other half of ourselves that's actually quite mysterious, right? Emotions, they're like water. And I always tell people, if you want to understand emotion, watch a toddler. They don't need to explain why they feel the way they feel. They're like a roller coaster. The spiritual piece is this great intelligence at play. I think even in these dark moments where we're chronically ill or going through a dark night of the soul, there is meaning in it and we can tap into in the spiritual quadrant of ourselves. But to go over to that side of health is, is very mysterious and not predictable. And if I'm over there, I can't say to someone, this is your prognosis. You should feel better in three weeks or three days. There's this element of trust and faith and mystery. It's like science and, and spirit. The beauty of going into those domains and letting that piece into a healing process is where all the unexplainable phenomena live. And that's miracles and radical remissions and healing that can't be explained by our science and data. And so I think... It's really important. One of the things I love about the four quadrants and explaining this to people is that it can really help loosen this hold on needing to know why and when, why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling and when it's going to end. Because it's often like the suffering, often it's that's the thing that is like really driving the suffering deeper. And if we can open up to this idea that, oh, okay, yes, I don't feel well, or I'm going through a really difficult time, but there's an underlying purpose and meaning here that I will eventually come to. It, it can really lighten the heaviness of the experience. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Just out of curiosity, when you say the spiritual body, does that include like an energetic field around you, like the subtle body, or is that something, is that the considered part of the physical? I consider the energy, the, the spiritual body or the spiritual quadrant, like the quantum field, right? So this, there is, this is part of us that's not anatomical, right? It's, it's a field in which we exist that we experience, but it's not, it's not material. And I know if we got into to yoga conversations or some spiritual conversations, there are layers of the subtle body and, and we can get very detailed. But in this sort of context and framework, I keep it simple in the sense that the spiritual aspect of the self is like the quantum field where all possibility exists and all potential exists. And then we can set our intention on something, a possibility or a potential, 
to make that possibility a more likely outcome than the others. Do only physical things impact the physical body and mental or can they cross? Can something that happens to you physically end up in the emotional? 100% they're all connected and, and in ways both seen and unseen. And it's almost like the more we get into this, then the more silly it becomes to call them quadrants. Because for example, let's say I have an experience where my fight or flight response turns on, a car almost hits me. That's not actually a physical experience, right? It's a close call, but it becomes a physical experience. My nervous system then shifts into fight or flight. And what does that do? That impacts every system in my body. It changes, it impacts the blood flow. It impacts whether my pupils are dilated and my muscles are tense and what my breath is doing. And then it also results in a cascade of chemicals. So then my norepinephrine and my epinephrine, my adrenaline is pumping, my cortisol is up, and that impacts my emotional experience. Then I sometimes feel fear and worry, and I start thinking about what if that was a close call, and then that impacts my mental experience, right? So they really do all crossover. And the way that I like to think about it is that there are themes, there are underlying themes that cause dysfunction or discord in the self. Until we get to the root of what those themes are, we can just see those themes thread their way through the different quadrants of our experience. I really like the chakra system. That's one of my you know, favorite places or, or orientations to the self. I write a lot about it and teach a lot about it. And by all means, the, the human is much more complex than just seven themes that can go wrong. But I do find that this orientation to health, using the chakras as lenses or as different themes and perspectives and seeing how they can play out in each of the different quadrants can be really interesting all of a sudden you start to understand why something like the fear of survival, it's a root chakra issue, how perhaps that shows up in the mind as worrisome ruminating thoughts. And perhaps that shows up emotionally as anxiety and adrenal issues. And perhaps that shows up physically as an autoimmune condition or allergies, situations where the immune system is confused about what is safe and what is not. Perhaps that shows up spiritually as an existential fear of being who you are and showing yourself to the world out of fear that you won't be accepted or you won't survive, really. So all that to say, absolutely, these lines between the quadrants are completely fluid. I, I want to talk about the chakra system, but what's really coming to me right now is I feel like I'm somebody who has been that person. Like my struggle is addiction, food, and the phone. And I feel like that has been one of the things that I've been trying to work with recently, particularly because I'm seeing it in my children now, these things cycle. And addiction is the one thing that I'm working through. I feel like I've tried these things. And now as you're speaking, I feel like I'm just picturing this thing of rotation as opposed to getting out of the box. How do they all work together? I ended up being obsessed with wellness and nothing worked and I stopped doing wellness entirely. Like maybe this is just my plight or I have to work with it on my own. But as you're speaking, now I'm wondering, maybe I'm only focusing in one quadrant while the wound or whatever is somewhere else. Can you talk through the chakras and how certain ones apply to certain quadrants or you run through each quadrant or do an example of an individual? I feel like that always helps people. You can use mine or a random one to get a, a bigger idea of the process. I love the quadrants. And I love following you with the chakras and I love your explanation of those. I think if we could begin with your explanation of that and your process of using those in your analysis. Absolutely. And your example is a great one. I'd love to use you and hopefully you can gain something out of it moving forward. To answer your question, 
do I associate a chakra with a quadrant or do I see them as complete permeating all four quadrants? The answer to that is both. The way that I speak about it is that I'll say a, a chakra is at home in a certain quadrant. Like the root chakra is very comfortable in the physical quadrant. It's where the material self really lives. And the sacral chakra is most at home in the emotional quadrant. And that's what we're going to talk about. The solar plexus is most at home in the mental quadrant, the home of the ego. The heart chakra, I like to put in the spiritual quadrant. If we were looking at the diagram, I would take the throat chakra and put it on the edge of the mental quadrant where we start to speak our thoughts into reality. I would put the third eye just on the edge of the spiritual quadrant where we start to project our intention into the world. I don't put the crown on the diagram because it's everything and nothing. These different chakras have affinity for certain experienced and ways that we perceive this reality, but they permeate all dimensions. I'll tell you how I work, but then we'll dive into you because you've already shared what the thing is. So what I usually do when I work with someone is talk to them for a long time. And mostly what I'm listening for is themes. I'm like trying to pick up on themes to get to the core of the thing that's really underlying it all. What can be complex about working with the chakras and this system is that it's all universal, right? Like I could walk you through all the wounds, shadows, and the themes that I associate with each chakra. And you'd probably be like, I can relate to all of those as you should, because you're human. I can too. We all can. The art of my work is getting to what is the thing? What is the one thing that underlies it all? That once we move that one thing, everything else is going to come into place. And I usually do that through listening. There are other tools that I use. If I'm in person with someone, I might use a pendulum. I might put my hands over their body. I might watch them breathe and see energy flowing through their body. But I find conversations usually to be the most revealing thing about where someone is really stuck or where there's imbalance. Then I'll usually explain to them, which is what I'm going to do for you right now, what that chakra is about and how it shows up and functions and let them try it on and see if it resonates. And then that's where we know how to begin. And if there are one or two places I feel are equally important and powerful, I might present both of them and then ask you which feels resonant for you. And we start there. And for you, addiction is like very at home in the domain of the sacral. And this is why, because the sacral, we already talked about it as like the, the epicenter of emotion. But what's happening often in the sacral when there's an imbalance is that we are unaware, we're in denial about the fact that at the end of the day, all of our actions or reactions, if we want to call them that, are simply us unconsciously trying to create more pleasure and less pain. And this comes back to chemistry. This comes back to an instinct that says, I like the way serotonin feels, dopamine, oxytocin. I don't like adrenaline. I don't like cortisol. And so we're, we, we're on this hamster wheel sort of chasing this chemical state that makes us feel good. And we don't realize that we're doing it. It's completely instinctual. In Buddhism, they call this the craving and aversion cycle. And really, meditation is a way out. It's can you sit for long enough to really understand the nature of emotion, which is equanimous. So it's like 
grasping the reality that there are going to be highs and there are going to be lows and then there are going to be more highs and there are going to be more lows and you're never really going to get to a place where like it's always high or it's always low the nature of change is that it never stops changing the only constant is change and we forget this all the time and what we end up doing is making reactive choices to avoid an uncomfortable state. And so you're talking about addiction and we can probably all relate to addiction of something. For some of us, it's shopping and some of us it's sugar and some of us it's food and phones and alcohol or substances. And that's like a very, almost a physical way to think about this sacral imbalance. But where I think most people experience it in a very pervasive way is like spiritually, emotionally, mentally. And so what that looks is these moments where I, I see it a lot in, in partnerships, like this idea of someone settling, this idea that it's, it's so uncomfortable to sit in the not knowing of if and when I'm going to meet this person that I just decide to go for. It. Or I'm in one of those voids where I'm in between jobs and I get an offer and I know it's not really the thing that I want. So it's like control, control a little. It's almost like it's cultivating the patience to sit through the discomfort of the not knowing or the waiting or, or the pain in order to actually let the thing come to you, right? Because the field of emotion is magnetic, right? This is a part of the self that is actually very capable of attraction and drawing into us what it is that we need or want to, to catalyze our creative genius. But what's often happening is it's so uncomfortable to sit in the waiting or the or whatever discomfort is there that we can't sit. We just, we react. And for some of us, this is eating sweets. And for others, this is like sending that text to that person you went on a few dates with before you really think it through. And so I think a lot about the sacral work as the shift from reaction to response like actually taking that pause to then be with the discomfort so you can, from a more clear place, decide, is this really the thing that I want? Is this really the thing that serves me or not? And if it's not, can I sit in the not knowing, trusting that what, is, what I am really looking for will come? It's not an easy thing to do. And then of course, like the sacral really loves to connect. This is also the center of sexuality and sensuality. And a lot of the time we play these dynamics out in relationship, right? So sometimes the discomfort that we're talking about is someone else's pain, right? It's me not wanting to disappoint someone else, or it's me wanting to fix or solve something for my partner because I can tell that he is really struggling. But what this work is about is saying, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit here with you and I'm gonna actually let your pain be your teacher because that's your path. So rather than me intervening and robbing him of his awakening process, I have to cultivate the ability to sit with the discomfort or the disappointment or whatever feelings are there and actually let him live out his path. And I imagine parenthood is one of the most challenging places to experience this. And we're, we're getting prepared to actually know that you have to let your kid make some mistakes and learn some lessons the hard way because that really is how we become and how we learn in an embodied way as opposed to we see what they're going to do wrong and we get in there and we prevent it from happening.
That's really interesting. I think that the intentionally making it food is something also padding, Mm -hmm. but can you look at someone and be like, you're hunching over, you have an inner child problem or not really? Not yet. I, I wouldn't say not yet because I don't really ever want to do that. I always want to be in a place where I'm receiving from someone as much as I'm projecting. So, and honestly, I think a lot of the time, just recently this happened where someone reached out to me with a question about her sacral chakra because multiple psychics, healers, and people have told her that she has an imbalance in her sacral chakra. And and then when I asked her, what does that mean to you? What is your experience of that? She has no idea. She just knows that all these people have put their hands on her or been in her field or looked at her and, and told her this thing. And she's been told the specifics of it's a cord attached to a man and you can't get him out of your space. And I find that very disempowering. I find that like when healers or practitioners project those types of things onto people that it's not really in service of anyone. And so if I look at someone's posture, and they're hunching over, the only observation I'm going to offer is I see you hunching over. What do you think that's about? Because quite frankly, the mind does a great job of making meaning about things, right? And I make enough meaning about the things in my own life. Like, I don't really need to let my mind be projecting meaning about what something means for you or for someone else. And so my first question is always, what is, this is an observation, what does this mean to you? And if I get an intuitive hit, which I do a lot, I will be very discerning about how much of that I offer. And I will usually offer it more in an inquiry than in a, this is what I'm picking up. I might say, does this feel resonant for you? Or have you ever had an experience like this? And I'll let it come from them because the last thing we need to be doing as practitioners is putting more baggage on. So before when you're talking about the sacral and my addiction, would you then look in the quadrants and see where, is it a deficiency or you're overcompensating? What do you refer to when you decide that the thing that you're working on is in the chakra? And from finding that, what is the next step? For me, it is deficiency versus excess. To some degree, it's a lot easier If I'm in your presence, because that's when it gets nice to be able to like work with energy and feel things and see things and use a pendulum and say, oh, this is interesting. But for the purposes of your healing, most of the time it doesn't really matter because energy moves fast. So just like when we're working on in physical health, there's this idea that something can be acute or something can be chronic. Acute being like you have a common cold and then it gets better and you could easily not go into a doctor's office and get through that. But if you have chronic back pain or a chronic autoimmune disease, it's around for a while and you're probably going to see patterns and seek out help. And the same thing happens with energy. If I were to put my hands over you or use a pendulum over you and see something one time, I'm not going to draw some big conclusion about that. But if I were working with you ongoing for a length of time and every time I see you, this like imbalance is there, then I'm probably going to speak to it or ask you about it. With you in this conversation, we wouldn't need that because you're like right here saying, this is what's going on. I have these addictive tendencies. And so we know that there's there's something to look into at least in the sacral. 
Okay. And I'm not even going to put on you, you have a sacral imbalance. I don't know. I'm just more going to invite you to explore the themes of that energy center. What my mind does is it takes addiction and it thinks more physical, mental. But when you start to open up the doors of what the theme is, you will probably start to see this in a lot of different ways in your life. You might start to see ways in which you compromise like what feels really true for you in a relationship because you're trying to keep the peace or you're like doing things that are people pleasing and you're like, oh man, I like, I get this now. This is like me not wanting to sit with the discomfort of disappointing this other person, but what is it costing me? It's costing me the fact that I'm not actually getting to do the things I want to do or live the life that I want to live because I'm compromising. I'm not communicating what I really want because it's too uncomfortable to let someone down. And then you might start to see things like that. And you might start to see ways in which your mind wants to talk you out of your emotions. And so part of going into the sacral work is like really feeling this stuff. And it's when something doesn't feel good, it can really be soothing to eat something or, or go to the social media or call this person or whatever it may be. And what I would probably encourage you to do is see what it feels like to not do those things. So what is this feeling that I'm actually trying to escape? And so what I find is I don't necessarily need to say this imbalance is in the physical, mental emotional, spiritual plane, I more am like want to introduce to you that this is a big theme for you. And it's probably showing up in your life in a lot of different ways. And let's bring some awareness to it and see what happens. And so one of the ways we might do that is just that you being aware and you looking at it. Another way we might do that is like, seated meditation, right? Where you actually watch these sensations or these uh, desires come up and you sit <laughs> or you watch your mind come up and say, you can't sit anymore. Go have something to eat or you have to pee or this is crazy, blah, 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 blah. And you practice sitting with it. So there are a lot of different ways that I might invite someone to try on tools. And then we sort of see what opens for you when you start working with those things. And more often than not, you start to see how it impacts your ability to, in this case, sit with discomfort. And eventually the addictive tendencies lose a little bit of their power because you know how to sit through the storm. Yeah. When you were saying, like when you first started to say to sit with the discomfort, I got like a shooting pain in my like, sh like upper shoulder. And so that I guess is resonating with me or but so are you sure there's nothing else there's, there's other than sitting with the discomfort? There's no magic pill? There can be magic pills <laughs> for these things, actually. The question is, and this comes back to my earlier question, is like, what is healing for you? Because totally, people use medications to soothe the pain, to soothe the discomfort to soothe these states. People use supplements, people use all kinds of tools. And I'm not here to judge anyone for what tools they wanna to use to experience life the way that they wanna experience it. But ultimately that's like a big question that we have to ask ourselves is what is healing? And do I really wanna heal or do I want to just feel good in my life? Yeah. And for me, I want to be like fucked up enough that I'm super funny and charming, but not in a lot of pain. 
And it's not even a body image thing necessarily, but the thing about the addiction is that you're not in control. And so I'm doing things and I don't feel good after. And what, you know, I believe absolutely in indulgence, live your life, have fun. But when it becomes just all the time that I have to have a chocolate or have to have some sort of heavy carb and I'm not feeling good after, and it's more like I need it as opposed to an indulgence, that's where I'm having a difficult time with. Or my kids would be like, please don't be on the phone, play with us. And I'd be like, yeah, but have you seen TikTok? But it's working through being able to put it down when you feel like you don't have the control to do that. There was something that you said before that was planted in my head. I feel like when people are at their wits end, they're very willing to explore this stuff. But if somebody's listening and they're curious about this work, but they may not necessarily be at the tail end of some sort of bad internal battle, what is your advice or, or words of wisdom to encourage them to pursue things in the holistic realm? I think what I usually say to people is when the work that I do, really my wish for people is to empower you with the awareness to see where you're at uh, so you can respond to it. And it really comes back to what you just said because you nailed it. It's about you being in control. It's about you having the sovereignty of feeling the way that you want to feel or creating the life that you want to live. And if we're up here, we can talk about that in terms of manifestation and magic. And if we're down in the lower chakras, like if we're in the sacral, we can talk about that as emotional sovereignty. If we're in the solar plexus, we can talk about that as empowerment. And if we're in the root, we can talk about that as like feeling good in your physical body. And so what I would invite people into this space for is to say, try this on because with awareness and tools, you can dramatically shift the way that you experience life. And I hope it doesn't take a chronic illness or a dark night of the soul to get someone there. A lot of the time it does, and that's just part of being human. Things are good as the enemy of great. We're happy and we're content until things are really not good. And then that becomes the thing that wakes us up. And that's often why pain is a great teacher. And as much as I don't want to wish pain and suffering on anyone, I really do think it has a place in humanity. And it becomes the thing that connects us and ties us together and a big foundation of our healing, both personally and collectively. But that's what I would say is you don't have to wait to dive into this stuff until you're going through a dark night of the soul. Like you can dive into this stuff as play and as practice to just see when I try on these tools and these different perspectives, how does that impact my experience of my life? And do I want that level of control? Because it really, at the end of the day, it's the difference between being a victim of circumstance predominantly or being the creator of your reality. And to me, it's if you're just waiting to heal and grow and change until something bad happens, you're basically doing the same thing you're talking about, which is being out of control of your life and just riding the wave of favorable circumstance until that wave crashes. And my invitation is just to say like, why don't you just create the wave? I really love that creator of your reality because that just sums up everything like shadow work, what's not conscious within you. You are not the creator of your reality if you are operating from a place of an unconscious wound or something that happened in your life before or chronic illness. You can mitigate the pain, but you're not pursuing all the approaches. The creator of your reality, I think, is such a great statement and really empowering and really put all this stuff into perspective of 
why we do the work. It's because we become the, the creator of our existence here. And I love that. On a little bit of a tangent, but I'm just curious as somebody who is in the medical field for so long, how do you explain to people the quantum field? It's certainly not my expertise. I'm not a physicist, but I do talk about it as when you're in this quantum field or this energetic realm, there's infinite possibility. It's a place that's beyond time and space and anything you can imagine exists there. So what I focus on with regard to the quantum field, because it's the piece that's relevant to the work that I do, is that when your attention is on a possibility in this field of infinite possibility that you make that outcome more likely. And this is important for healing, manifestation, change, transformation, because it becomes an exercise in training the mind, both to have clarity of intention what is healing? Where do I want to go? What is the future I see for myself? And to train the, the mind, the body, the emotions to stay with it, to keep it, the attention on that thing. Because the more we fuel that possibility, which we have the power and the control to do, the more likely that possibility becomes than any of the others. And so when you work with people, you ask them, what is your version of healing or feeling healed? But if you had a magic wand and you, you could come up with something, would it be to get people into a space in the quantum field where they're magnetic? I would say if I, if I were the ruler and I were the person deciding what healing was for everyone, I would probably say that what I see healing as is balance and alignment. Alignment with the forces of intelligence that are beyond what we can see. And so I think about the state of being healed or healing as a harmonious place not a place without any turbulence or pain or, or challenge, but a place where there is ease. Okay, so I don't see healing as easy, but I do think it can be easeful. And that's what I would offer. This idea that being magnetic is healing. I'm like, absolutely not, because it magnets draw all kinds of things to them that are not in service of what they are or how they function. I taught this workshop last night called The Art and Science of Manifestation. And I'm really falling in love with this idea of transformation and all of these different processes like healing as well, being both an art and a science. Because on the one hand, yes, there's this beautiful capacity that we have to magnetize and to draw in, but we also have to use the technology that we are to be selective about what comes in. So there's like this balance that says, yes, I want to be a magnet, but I don't want to be a magnet for everything. And that's where I use my intention and my attention to say, these are the things I want to draw in. But that's the balance, the dance, because it's both uh, a projecting out, which is like the masculine principle or the masculine pull, and then a receiving, a receptivity, which is the feminine pull. I have a hard time with receptivity. But there was something interesting that you said where you were talking about the balance and, and the magnetism. What kind of popped in my head was, if your quadrants are off, then you're pulling something from an off state. And so you're pulling, it could be you're pulling from uh, a core wound that isn't necessarily your authentic state. So the balance piece also makes sense to me and pulling from a place of alignment as opposed to magnetism. That's a great point. Knowing what aspects draw things in. So if we're talking about the quadrants, the emotional quadrant 
is the quadrant that's probably most responsible for our magnetic capacity. Emotion attracts. And so it becomes really important to be emotionally sovereign, right? Because if you are not in control over your emotions and what that could look like is I'm having a great day and then I binge on sugar and I feel really good for 15 minutes and my energy is completely tanked and my emotional state goes with it. And so when it comes to attraction and magnetizing, part of that is cultivating the emotions that you want to feel. And if we're not in control of that, then like we're not in control of what we, what is coming in. That's me. I'm pretty, I'm very emotional. I'm just like, yeah, I'm very empathic too, which is a, a, a blessing and a curse, right? So there's like being empathic can be wonderful because you really are attuned to what people are feeling, but it gets very confusing when you're in a field and you don't know what of this is mine and what of this is someone else's. And then before you know it, you're attracting in things that aren't really meant for you <laughs> because you're not, you don't know how to draw a boundary between which emotions are actually yours and which belong to someone else. And then we end up like attracting in all this stuff emotionally that's not for us and processing it and it's exhausting. I had a Reiki practice for a while, but I had to uh, shut it down because because I feel like I have excess in the top and deficiency in the bottom. Mm -hmm. And with the Reiki practice, I would spin out and it would take forever for me to come back. And at some point, maybe I have to mature into it. That's interesting what you're saying about the empathy piece, because it was hard for me to separate. And so I had to stop. And that's common. A lot of people who are drawn to energetics and spiritual practices are light on their feet, right? If there's excess there, it can be easier to feel comfortable up here. And often what we need to do is we need to ground because if we're not grounding a lot of the time the body is going to step in and do it for you and i've worked in my practice with with a lot of women who are psychics and mediums and channelers and they end up having really hard time with weight loss or different types of like chronic body conditions and they can heal everyone, but this, these things won't budge in themselves. A lot of the time, what we need to do is bring the energy down so the body doesn't have to take, take it on and literally become yeah. the weight. So my last question will be, what are you the most excited about becoming a mom? Oh my goodness. What a great question. The first thing I want to say is I'm just so excited to meet this person that I've been more intimately connected with than any other person I've ever been connected to, except for my mother, but I don't really remember my womb time. I think this human being is, it's a true product or creation of a union and a love that I just... I'm so grateful for, and I just can't wait to see what that is, like Paul and I together as one being, and, and to learn from him or her, because I can already feel that, I don't know how old your kids are, but I feel like this next generation of, of people, they are coming in with knowledge, and they're coming in knowing that they need to build a new world. <laughs> because this one is not working very well in a lot of ways. And I can feel that this little being knows things about that, what needs to happen and how to do it that I don't. And so I'm excited to learn from him or her, mostly. I'm so excited for you. My kids are five and seven, but now I want two more because the babies are so cute. You're going to absolutely love it. Is there anything that we miss or you'd like to add? And, and then we'll let people know where they can find you. Not really. I will say that when I'm taking some time off starting next week to have this baby, 
and that we're pretty excited that while we're offline for a little while, we're releasing a course that is also a labor of love that we put our hearts into as we've been creating and our first child has been growing within me. So it's a really special offering that we're going to be putting out soon. And when, if you tell people where they can find me, they'll be able to find that course. But that's what we're going to leave the world with while we disappear for a little while into becoming parents. And then our, we're very much looking forward to the day when we can work together in person. Yeah, that's really exciting. And where do you prefer people go? Instagram, your website? Either way, I'm pretty active on Instagram, the Experience Seven Senses, which is where we connected. And then the website is where people can find offerings and courses and all that kind of stuff. And that's experience. And I highly recommend recommend people follow you on Instagram because you give a lot of information that's really beneficial and it's very generous. So thank you. I wish you the happiest time with your sweet baby and Sniff that baby as much as you can. <laughs> they smell so good. <laughs> oh, thank um, you. I can't wait. I'm Stephanie Wood, and you've been listening to The Geode, your guide to modern wellness and woo, the podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, and if you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. You can join me next week for another fun conversation. Until then, I love you.